Hello, my name is Adam Eason and welcome to episode 84 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think we have a goal winning show lined up for you today. In a short while I'm going to be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest Craig Sigal. Uh, then we'll have this week's hypnosis in the news stories examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Craig Sigal. We're going to be talking about his work using hypnosis to help with sports and athletic performance and um, Craig offers up a lot that is of use to those interested in developing their business too. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com that's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. And if you enjoy this podcast, then please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes or be a BFF if you do. And it just takes a couple of seconds, you know, one or two clicks just to give us a favourable rating there. Um, And it does us a lot of good. Thank you. First of all, today then is uh, this week's interview with Craig Sigal. And when Craig uh, first got in touch with me, I was really taken by his enthusiasm, his positivity. Um, And later on in the second part of today's show, I I even refer to Craig as as a force, because he really and clearly is. You know, I I think that'll come across as as you'll hear. Um, Being based in Seattle, Um, He was recording this episode with me at 7 a.m. Seattle local time um, in order to fit with me. And even at that hour, you know, he was just relentless and wanting to offer information, talking about his business, his specialist topic. Um, I'm really passionate about it as well. And, and, you know, he gives a lot in today's episode. Um, um, And, you know, if you take none of the information that he offers on board, do please do take note of the way he clearly has a massive drive and the way he set up such an effective business in this field. Him and I are going to talk his specialist subject of sports hypnosis later on in the show. But first up then, I interview Craig about uh, hypnosis and him. So for now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. (music) 
So as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome the one and only Mr. Craig Sigal to Hypnosis Weekly. Craig, welcome. Thanks, Adam. It is a pleasure. Excited to be here. So um, um, let, let's learn a little bit about you, first of all. Tell us, you know, how did you get into this field? Tell us about your background and how you've arrived at, at where you are now. Yes. Well, I started out, um, I, I did um, NLP training all the way to trainer's training. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, which is a different route than most hypnotherapists take. And, and But that led me to a whole bunch of hypnosis trainings. And somewhere in there, I said, you know what? I got to do this. I got to do this for a, uh, um, for a profession. I actually uh, began taking hip, uh, NLP training just because I was doing internet marketing for golfers. I, I started out with this right. ebook ebook called Break 80 Without Practice. Yeah. I, had a business, I had a business coach who said, okay, what do you, uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to work on? What, what, what's going to be your thing? And I said, well, I like golf. And he says, great. There's lots of people out there who need help in golf. He says, what's their, what's their problem? I said, well, they struggle to um, get better in golf. He goes, well, why do they struggle to get better in golf? I said, well, they don't have time to practice. He goes, great. Boom. There's your... There's your business right there. I'm like what? <laughs> really? Get better without practice? And he says, "Yep." And I turned that into Break 80, which uh, kind of comes off of my own personal history of trying to get into the 70s and golf myself yeah. Yeah. for 20 plus years and couldn't do it until I discovered the mental game, which led me to that point. Anyway, so I started creating this program called Break 80 Without Practice. Um, and for those who are scared to death to put themselves out there as a guru, to go out there and, and show up and, and attract people, you know, I, I call that, you know, the imposter syndrome a lot of new hypnotherapists yeah. have, right? Yeah, I think that's great. Here's how I did it. Here's how I got past all that. Yeah. My coach said, you don't have to know everything about a subject. You just need to know more about... Um, uh, about your subject than 90% of the people and you'll be good. And, yeah. and he said, and he says, you know, what makes an expert Craig. I know what's that. He goes, read five books on a subject. Boom. You're an expert. So, <laughs> so I went down to the library and I got a bunch of old golf books. They were old cause I was living in Eastern Washington, which is nowhere. It's a nothing <laughs> the middle of the desert and I, in this little teeny library and I got 11 books and I started pulling out anything to do with getting better at uh, golf that didn't require practice. Yeah. And I created um, an audio uh, program out of that, and my business coach helped me started, start selling it, and lo and behold, I'm a mental guru for golf. Brilliant. Just like that. Yeah, brilliant. And, and, then, I, and then I said, I need some, some kind of credentials or something. Here's, I'm just a guy who went from the corporate world to now I'm a mental game of golf guru. People all over the world going, this is amazing, Craig. They're emailing me. I go, man, I better get some letters or something after my name, which led me, which led me to NLP, which then led me to hypnosis. And then I said, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this for people. This is, such, this is so cool. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then I moved to Seattle, the big city, which is about three hours away from where I was. Yeah. And I ha I, I, my brother lived here, and I said uh, – to my business coach at the time, I, I got to do this hypnosis NLP practice. He's like, "What's that?" I don't, I don't know how to do that. He was helping me with my online stuff. 
I don't know, but I got to do it. And he says, I go, help me, whatever. I was in a, a year-long program with him. Yeah. He goes, okay. And so we just started throwing stuff against the wall, and I, with just sheer will and determination, I built a practice from scratch. I didn't know anybody except for my brother uh, in Seattle. And within about a year, I had a thriving practice. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, um, I, I love hearing stuff like that. And I think it's, I think it's really good for 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 those just starting out to hear that um um yeah that's it, it's lovely so w where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned then um um you know when, when when people are asking you when you explain hypnosis to clients um and others um, um how do you define it how do you explain it um how did you arrive at that um throughout the years i love that question i love that question i'm rarely asked anything like that so I now, after having done hundreds and hundreds of regressions and chair hypnosis and you name it, right? I've taken yeah. so many different trainings and, and, and done my own things and, and created my own interventions. And today, 14 years later, my definition of hypnosis has become very loose. Very, I, I don't uh, subscribe to a lot of what is being taught today. And sure. I have learned that hypnosis comes in many forms. Mm. Uh, for example, we all know there's a lot of people teaching conversational hypnosis, right? Sure. So the common theme, for me at least, and what I teach, is that hypnosis is simply connecting conscious to unconscious or subconscious. Mm. That's it. Mm. So that can happen in so many different ways. Yeah. And and I don't need to do it overtly. Um, uh, these days, I, I, I mostly, in my, like I have a whole section uh, about me that's about mental toughness training. And uh, in order to, and I advise uh, people who want to build their practice and struggling, to open your mind to not just putting yourself out there as a hypnotherapist, but also as a person who solves problems, which I learned from my original, you know, break aid without practice way back when I started yeah. this whole thing, right? And so I create a mental toughness trainer and nowhere in there will you see the word hypnosis because I wanted to appeal to people in the entire sports world and, and I've learned it's beyond that now uh, for who are struggling with issues surrounding mental toughness. And often I will call it guided visualization, but I'm doing the same exact thing. I learned that the sports psychology world gets away with calling it guided visualization, <laughs> and it's the same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I, I was once asked to write an article. There was, it was 2010 for this book, Sports Psychology, something or other, and somebody uh, called me up, the guy who publishes it every year, um, and he was asking me about hypnosis for sports. It's like a big book of mental game for, and it's every year anyway. Yeah. And I, I was just saying at the time, I was saying, why don't you sports psychologists use the real term hypnosis? <laughs> I was like, I was really adamant because I was really steeped in the, the traditional hypnosis meaning and, and the way we use it as, as hypnotherapists. Yeah. And, but I've come full circle, 180 degrees now. And, um, if people are open to the word and they come to me from that word and, and that, that world, I'll we'll use it. And I'm proud to use that. But on the other hand, I, uh, there's people who we all know 
If you use that word, they forget it. You'll never see them again. <laughs> you don't even get a chance to explain. Yeah. And so I've kind of loosened up my whole definition and the way I use it. And all I really care about, I, I literally call it integration now. Yeah. Meaning it, integrating a perception or an idea into the subconscious. To me, mm. that's hypnosis. And, you know, we all know as hypnotherapists, this happens all the time in natural, normal situations. In fact, so that's what we say in our pre-talk. We, we get people on board with the idea in a pre-talk so they're not afraid of it, right? If they've never heard of it, they've come to us and, and they think you're, we're going to turn them into chickens and barking dogs and whatnot. So we're saying this in our pre-talks, yet everybody's afraid to kind of go out there in the world with what we say in a pre-talk, and I'm not. Yeah. And all I care about is a client getting their change, a client shifting a nervous system reaction that they have today that they don't want to have tomorrow. And we all know, coming from this world, that um, this is a very po powerful modality, whether you use it overtly, covertly, uh, just kind of under the radar. I, I really don't care. I just want to help people get their outcome. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, and I just, let's get, you know, I, I often say to my, my students, I, I teach people now, I say, bottom line, what, what makes this whole business work, whether you want to call yourself hypnotherapist or something else, is people are on island A with an acute problem. Mm. And they want to get to island B where they don't have their problem. And you need to be the person uh, who can explain to them in easily understandable terms how you are the best boat that will get them there. Yeah. <laughs> now, and if they've and if they've had an experience where they've tried to get from island A to island B some other way or or normal methods and they haven't, well, you're in a perfect position. Yeah. Now, now, if you're just a hypnotherapist, you say, "Well, I got this amazing thing called hypnosis. It's awesome." Blah blah blah. Some people are going to put up a wall immediately, right? We all know this. And if you're doing things online, you have a website, things like that. You're in social media and you're leading with the word hypnosis, well, uh, some people are just not going to even listen to you past the first time they see the word or any form of it. Mm. So uh, big, long, rambling answer to your question, but um, I don't care how we get the perception down into the body, into the neural network, that we, uh, the part of it that we call the subconscious or unconscious. And by the way, I use those terms interchangeably. Um, depending on whatever the person likes. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, oh, here's something else I want to throw at you that, that everybody will really appreciate. <laughs> so what really has made my entire career here in the sports hypnosis and mental toughness training world work, and kudos to the entire NLP hypnosis world, is that we go to the core of problems, right? We go to the source. We go to where it lives, there in the subconscious. Mm. And... And the whole sports psychology world doesn't. They don't. So my best advice, if you want to get into this sports world and help athletes, you talk that way. We are going to go eliminate stuff at the core of where your problem originates. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a deep conversation, then you can go into the whole subconscious, unconscious thing. Yeah. But this, the sports psychology world, all they do is Band-Aids. And, and I've and and I I've had um, conversations, and just recently one of my students asked the sports psychology directly. It was funny, and he says he asked him directly. So why don't you guys go to the core of the problem, and why that performance anxiety, which is the number one thing we deal with, why does that exist for this person? 
And it was funny. He told me the sports psychologist, like, uh, good question. I don't know. So <laughs> this is where um, us hypnotherapists and NLP people, we have an edge. And I encourage you to exploit that. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I, we're, we're going to talk in some depth um, a little bit later on about the sports stuff. And I, I really want to jump the gun and start asking you about that. And, and yeah. Just tell me, you started... You, you started talking about, about you know, a, a couple of people or, or a couple of books early on that had influenced you. You went and bought, got these five books. And perhaps you could yes. just, 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 just share with the listeners who some of your major influences have been, um, um, either books or authors that have taught you the most or teachers that have been the most influential upon you and some of the reasons why. Yes. Um, in the beginning, even before... Before I, I had quit the corporate world and had that business coach, I told you the story who helped me get yeah. the golf. Thing. The thing that spurred me, a couple books, one was uh, Super Learning, um, and that was written about uh, the 70s, I think, mm. and another one, Psycho-Cybernetics. Uh, yes. Both of those introduced me to the whole mental. Um, again, I was... I, I spent 20, 30 years trying to break 80 in the score of golf. That was like my thing. Yeah. I, and I took lessons and I did everything. I read golf magazines. I practiced. I did everything and I couldn't break the score of 80. And then I read those two books. And both of them had references to uh, visualization. I think it was um, um, Psycho-Cybernetics that talked about Jack Nicholas, who's still considered the greatest golfer of all time. And I'm like, whoa, 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 there's something here. I just happened to, actually, I was introduced to these books in a course I took in college called um, in, Intrapersonal Communication, mm. where I was introduced to the idea, the ideas that we now call personal development. This is like way back in the, the 82 or so. I'm 54 now. I'm showing my age, but I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of that because I still yeah. compete and play with play with the guys half my age and I'm very athletic and try to keep myself in shape. Um, but anyway, um, I was introduced to these two books in that course in college and I vaguely remembered, it was like 20 years later, I'm struggling with golf. I find these two books in a box in my garage, like in my early 40s. And I go, huh, I'm going to read these again. And I, I thumbed through them. I found these uh, references to golf. And boom, I was on a tear to learn about the mental game, which led me to that, that point uh, with a business coach. And yes, I did break 80 in the process. Um, I got down to a single-digit handicap, five. Um, wow. I broke par on a full-size course. And then I went, oh, my goodness, I, I got to – there's more. Some, there's, some, there's some magic here. What's going on? I, I need to – you know, I, I just get obsessed about stuff like uh, this that interests me. And I went all in. Um, there's one other book that in the beginning really fueled my drive and desire it was uh, The Power of the Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy. Oh, yeah. Right? So these yeah. are real good books uh, for beginners uh, just to kind of and, – and the general public to get um, – you know, to learn about this power. Uh, your average person out there in the world is just clueless, right? Especially if you're dealing with sports. And it's good for us if we're working with athletes to understand this, all they know, they're on island A with their problem, and all they know from their coach and their parents, if we're talking about kids, is you just need to work harder, and you just need to want it more, and you just need to believe in yourself, right? And so these athletes are doing that, 
and they're still on island A with their problem. And often to break them out of that, you got to introduce them to something simple like like I was, like these books. Um, you know, a simple story maybe like uh, what's what's good like. Um, uh, often I'll, I'll, I'll use stories about uh, like uh, athletes that, that blow it after they have personal issues where, where their career goes down the hill. Like Tiger Woods is a perfect example in golf, right? Personal game. Yeah. So clearly it's mental. Yeah. Clearly it's mental. Yeah. So my point about that is uh, we, one of the first blocks we need to deal with, and that's even to get people to listen to, to read your stuff, to be introduced to, to even want to hear what you have to say about getting them from Island A to Island B, is that they have a problem and it's mental. I mean, I can literally just uh, maybe a year ago, I had this guy who um, was on one of my uh, one of my free coaching calls I do periodically to everybody out there, and. He says, Craig, uh, I don't have a mental problem. Uh, my problem is physical. I get nervous. <laughs> he goes, my body literally gets – he was a pool player, billiards player. He says, my body literally, when I'm in under pressure, I, I, I start shaking. My problem is physical. I'm like, dude, <laughs> really? <laughs> but that's the, the mentality that you face when you're dealing with people in the sports world, yeah. which is why I created the whole mental toughness stuff because that opens the door to, hey, maybe there's something there that's cool, right? Mental yeah. toughness is cool. Um, now, sports hypnosis is cool to some people, and they'll seek you out for that, right? Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so yeah. I encourage people to, if you're going to get into the sports world, you know, get down and dirty, get, get basic, get, um, uh, understand where they're coming from and uh, help them help slide them into the idea that, Hey, you can solve this problem problem using mental, uh, mental skills, mental interventions. And, um, yeah. you know, yeah. so, uh, and those kind of books that, uh, that I mentioned helped get me there. Um, so, cause yeah. I was like everybody else is like, you know, I don't know any different. I, I need to practice. I need to work harder. I need to take more lessons and I need to get more clubs. And I did all that. None of it worked. No. So uh, the other part of that, while I'm on it, what the heck, I'm on a roll, is, <laughs> is if you're looking for clients in the sports world, don't bother with people um, who you have to like really convince hard that your hypnosis thing is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's going to turn you into a, a magical performer and put you in the zone on command. No, 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 no. Yeah. If you want to build a practice on this, you target people with problems. Island A. Always remember that. Man, I think that's the biggest gift of clarity I can give anybody who wants to work with athletes. Because hmm. uh, I say I often, Adam, uh, to, my, to my people, listen, nobody ever comes to me saying, Craig, hey, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I, you know, um, I, I want you to teach me some mental toughness. It never happens. No. Never happens, right? It, it, it's more like um, you've got a car that limps into a small town that has one mechanic, mm. right? And I'm the mechanic. Yeah. And you'll pay anything just about as long as it's, you know, not uh, <laughs> highway robbery. Yeah. But you'll pay anything to get out of that problem if you're the only mechanic in the town that has a solution to fix your car to get you back on your way. Mm. So those are people that um, are really good for our work. Yeah.
yeah 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 true um um so so throughout the years then throughout these years you've been working with um, um lots of people teaching studying coaching you know yes. therapying um, uh, t tell me tell me what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed the most impressive applications that i've witnessed yeah some of, some of the stuff that you've that you've seen that you've been really impressed with uh, so like my, my people yeah, that, have been been with clients that, that I've taken yeah, clients that you've worked with or, or okay. Okay. I got one. I got, all right. I got one. So, uh, I, I do want to give a nod to a couple of trainers that I really admire and have helped me a lot. One yeah, is cool. Roger, Roger Moore here in Seattle. Oh yeah. Um, cause I used to do weight loss. Uh, that was one of my specialties when I started and he's the guru of weight loss. Yeah. Two, uh, Roy Hunter, who's also out here in Seattle. Yeah. Um, and I learned from him, parts therapy and regression. And um, three, David Quigley uh, out in California. Oh, he yes. has been innovating some really cool stuff, and I picked up on that. And, and I actually worked with him personally. I brought him out here for training years ago, and, uh, and he helped me personally uh, as part of uh, sponsoring him. He says, yeah, come on, I'll, I'll help you out. He helped me over um, money blocks I had about getting bigger in um, in finances and, and in my business. Brilliant. And uh, every once in a while we talk and he brings that back up and mm -hmm. it was uh, interesting. I had um, religious things about uh, making money yeah. and uh, he was brilliant about helping me pass that. Oh, great. Um, but here's something that's really interesting and unique. Um, that um, applies to hypnosis uh, world and getting people their change. Um, Dr. John Sarno, um, he originally wrote this book called Healing Back Pain. Mm. So I started out uh, doing all hypnosis and, um, you know, anxieties and, and I had sports and weight loss and all this stuff. And then I ended up splitting off uh, and creating a website for medical issues, um, chronic pains and medical issues using hypnosis. And I got introduced to Dr. John Sarno. I encourage all hypnotherapists to read it, even if they never do any medical issues. But basically, um, it, his whole study was about um, this paradigm, where a psychosomatic paradigm where um, certain personality profiles, if you will, um, avatars, uh, maybe there's a better word for that, people who have certain personality characteristics um, will tend to create pain in their body um, and it's people pleasing and perfectionist. You put those two things together in a client, the unconscious, subconscious mind um, has a mechanism where it creates pain and other problems and guess what these other problems I found from experience are? A lot of the problems athletes have serious mental blocks in sports. Mm. So mm. I did all this work um, helping people with pain and and um, and it also pertains to like he wrote an, a, another book after that called Divided Mind where he found out that this um, uh, this personality thing uh, psychosomatic thing was affecting um, IBS and mm. um, and uh, what's the other one fibromyalgia so I worked with people for that using his protocol yeah, well. and I was we were all amazed on how effective it was. And there's a, a follow-up book 
by name uh, Scott Brady, uh, Pain Free for Life. Yeah. And he, he followed Dr. Sarno's advice for his for his own stuff. He was a doctor. Yeah. And um, one day I, I, I read his book and it just really solidified this whole paradigm. And I, man, if people in the hypnosis world just take a look at that, it'll open up worlds to you that you did not know existed mm. ab- about how to help people. Yeah. Um, and, and then you use your techniques and your hypnosis and NLP to actually do the work. Yeah. But one day, one day I just, I, back of the book, I saw he, Dr. Brady is in Florida and I picked up the phone, called his office. He's like, oh, this is Scott Brady. I'm like, whoa, I, I got the guy. <laughs> he says, oh yeah, I'm on lunch and uh, everybody's, on, everybody's on lunch. And I just had this great conversation with him, told him I'm using hypnosis with that. He was so excited. I didn't keep in contact with him. But it, that's a really awesome book if you're going to help people with pains and, and anything to do with medical, uh, where, where the person, again, they've been to the doctor, they've done everything, yeah. right? And they still have their problem on island A, yeah. right? This is the paradigm that you can assume uh, that, they're, that you're dealing with. And that also applies, to, talking about sports, it applies to things like, Gymnasts who uh, have trouble going backwards, which is a very common issue, right? Golfers with the yips, these are solid mental blocks where mm. their body will not do what they are trying to command it to do. Mm. Pole vaulters who bail, it's called bailing. Yeah. They run down the, the runway and they can't plant the pole, right? Yeah. Uh, and these are hardcore mental blocks. And I use Dr. Sarno's uh, um, uh, paradigm for that. And yeah. Ah, that's you know I, I i love hearing stuff like that i love hearing about those kinds of things um um i love wanting to go and explore something before i've actually finished recording the call <laughs> but <Good. laughs> um um now now if you could go back go back when, when all this started um craig when you started out um i'm exploring wanting to become a hypnotherapist or a hypnosis professional of any kind yep. knowing knowing the stuff that you know now all these years later is there anything that you would do differently and if so what um is there any advice the person that you are today would give that younger you that you would extend to our listeners um yes so it comes from me being an introvert um I am not big on out in public. I'm not big on legwork, talking to people, public speaking, even though I did a ton of that, believe me, to get started because that, that's all I knew between yeah. me and my coach at the time. I mean, I've had eight business coaches since him, and every one of them's moved me to the next level. Uh, but I, I, I'm an efficiency fanatic. Uh, I came from the transportation world where profit margins are next to nothing, mm. where we had to get stuff done yesterday for less time and less money. And if you don't, we'll find somebody who will tenths of a second, tenths of a minute. Right. So over the years, I, I, I've just been applying that to my therapy and how I build my business. Mm. And so the thing I would tell people is to if you want to be efficient in building your practice, it's to use the internet, to max out the internet. I mean, literally, I, I, I mean, I, I joke about this all the time, but it, I'm dead serious. I could move anywhere, anywhere in the English speaking. I don't even need English speaking, but I could go anywhere in the English speaking world and have a practice of 10 clients a week, you know, in my sleep using the internet and, um, 
taken advantage of the internet for local, yeah. for, for local people. Yeah. Um, and as far as, okay, and as far as the therapy side of thing for new people, okay, I'm, I got it. This, so I was just on a thread in a hypnosis Facebook group yeah. where it was a new person who had taken some training and he asked the question um, along the lines of, hey, you know, I learned, my, I learned this technique about this or that. I don't remember, regression maybe. And he says, one instructor says to do it this way and another instructor says to do it that way. Yeah. Right? Can you imagine? Right? Every new yeah. person it probably yeah. has that question because, Absolutely. Well, you know, there's so many ways to do this, right? Yeah. And I, and I wrote in that thread, I say, listen. And, and there was a ton of answers, by the way. I was really, you know, us hypnotherapists always have multiple, uh, everybody's got their own way, the way it should be done, right? Yeah. And they have strong opinions yes, about everything. They do. Well, I have a meta program that says, uh, Craig, find out what's the common theme. Find out what's common. Uh, some people, you know, are mismatchers and what's wrong? What's not, what's not good, right? I'm a, I'm, I'm a common theme. And so I answered, and this is uh, the an direct answer to your question in a roundabout way. It takes me forever to get here. But I told you, man, you're <laughs> going to have trouble shutting me up here at the beginning. But all right, back to the punchline. I said, listen, as you can see, um, everybody's got uh, multiple ways to, to help people with this particular thing or anything for that matter. Everybody's got different ideas, and they will all work. But I'll tell you what is the common theme running through everybody here and their answers that will take you further than how to do a technique there in the beginning of your career. And it's this. Just deeply care about your client mm. sitting there in front of you. Yeah. Number one, keep that in mind. Have that as your number one intention. I promise you, the right words will come out when you have that. I promise you, you it, it doesn't matter how you do the technique. If yeah. they pick up that you that you just care about them. Yeah. You know, um, um, I, 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 one of my students, um, he's a very, he's, a he's one of those technicians, wants to do it right. And he's brilliant, believe me. He's got the whole NLP lingo down. <laughs> and I go, dude, listen. Here's how I'm going to help you the most while, while, while I'm mentoring you. you need, I'm going to help you find that heart that you got surrounded by all kinds of stuff and you want to teach the stuff. I'm going to help uncover that heart of yours so people can feel you. Mm. He was mm. like blown away. In fact, when I, that's what got him to, to want to work with me because that's what he was missing. Yeah. And and most hypnotherapists have that going be that's why we get into this, right? Mm. We we want to help people. That's what's got us started. Well, just go with that. That would be my number one thing. Don't worry about whether you're going to do the the technique right or not. I you know, I have this um my protocol is called race, relentless awareness, clear and emotional mastery. Mm. R is relentless. It doesn't mean R like most people in the sports or or any world, uh, use the term relentless, you know, like never give up. I mean, that's all great stuff. But my R relentless means relentless about your belief in your ability to change, right? Yeah, so yeah. we talk about, you know, a client being at cause and being empowered. That's great. That's similar to what I teach, but it's more than that. 
And when you just deeply care about somebody and you project that and you think that while you're working with them and it never, it's always at the front of your mind and, it, and, and your words get filtered through that, that builds their belief and their ability to change more than anything, more than the greatest pre-talk uh, you can come up with or from any guru. Just care. Mm. Yeah. We'll do it right. Yeah, and, and I and I always say if you can get some. Oh, here's there's what I meant to. I didn't finish. If you can, I I like to tell my students you can measure. We I like to you take mental measurements of where they are in the R scale, the relentless belief in their ability to change scale, zero to hundred percent. And Adam, I believe one hundred percent that I have, and I've proven this over and over. If you can get somebody to be hundred percent relentless, Adam, you can wave chicken wings over their head and they will change. <laughs> Yeah. It, it's not the technique. Yeah. No. No, I get that. I get that. Build people's belief in their ability to change, and there's many ways to do that. The number one way is to just care about them, and, and you project that you are going to help them change, yeah. no matter what. Even if you don't even know what you're doing, even if you're brand new. That was what got me through uh, the beginning uh, of my – I just said, you know what? I don't know how this is going to happen. You know, I'm just a brand new trained hypnotherapist, but by gosh, I'm going to do whatever I can to get this person to change. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I'll, you know, if, if this technique I use here today doesn't work, well, by gosh, I'm going to go back and find somebody who's going to help me, or I'm going to go to some book, or I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get this person their change. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. And I care so much, that's going to drive me to make this happen. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. how I got through those early early years i think that's such good advice there's there's a there's there's so many nuggets that are really useful in there for for, for people listening you know one of um I'm, I'm something that i'm always interested in something that i make a goal of many sessions and many of many of my own clients is, is the development of self-efficacy and and that that, that they are always going to develop self-efficacy and, and and their belief in their own ability to succeed and so on if Yep. If if I believe in in them in the first instance, um, um, so I love this idea of just making sure that you genuinely, properly care for them and that they they see that and feel that, um, um, um and and just kind of creates a much more of a fertile place for them to to start believing what what it is that you are demonstrating um, um, um i love hearing that now craig we are going to talk about um we're going to talk in some depth um, um in a short while um, um about sports hypnosis for now um where can people go to learn more about your work your approach and and so on if people want to seek you out what where can they go mental toughness trainer dot biz b-i-z mental, mental toughness trainer dot biz Great. There will be a link to that website um, over at the uh, Hypnosis Weekly website. Go check it out. And we will be back talking sports hypnosis with Craig Siegel in just a few moments time.
I really enjoyed that. More from Craig in a short while. Um, On to this week's hypnosis in the news then. This week I'm citing um, um, a couple of stories that have a similar theme. Um, One that's featured in the media very recently, just this past week, and a couple of similar stories uh, sort of from the vaults that have featured in previous years on the same theme. And it's focusing on stories whereby it's being claimed that hypnosis is being wielded somehow and used to rob individuals. So the story to come out this week was uh, in the Auckland Times. Um, um, So it's a story in Auckland um, um, and it's entitled Scammers Use Hypnosis to Rob Victims. And the, the, the article says hypnotizing the vulnerable and robbing them of their money and valuables is a new scam that has recently been reported in the area. Police have said that scam artists typically target the elderly by first befriending them and then putting them in a hypnotic trance. Fraudsters are quick to exploit the power of hypnosis by first making contact with lone victims, usually in deserted areas and winning over their trust. Now, I'm just going to interrupt the the article for a moment there because all of the mechanisms that are being cited here um, um, could could probably be related to hypnosis, but they're certainly not correlated. Um, they're not necessary ingredients of of hypnosis. You know, this is befriending um, using trust and manipulation tactics that that lots of thieves and um, um, con artists would be inclined to use. And they're they're definitely not not hypnosis in and of themselves. Anyway, the article goes on. A resident of Half Moon Bay was recently the victim of a hypnotic scam. On her daily walk, the Asian senior was approached by an Asian couple who appeared quite friendly and spoke to her in Mandarin. Unaware that she was being hypnotised, the woman was told to hand over all her possessions. Now, here's the next thing, okay? This is, this is, this is one of my issues. Unaware that she was being hypnotised. You see, it, it, it's almost an oxymoron within itself, that sentence, because if you are completely unaware and unengaged, you know, then, then how can you be hypnotised? You know, proper evidence-based hypnosis tends to suggest that hypno- hypnosis is collaborative, you know, that the individual's got to be engaging their own imagination, their own cognitive processes and following and, and, and so on, you know, have a certain degree of uh, a number of psychological processes um, um, in order to do that. So um, um, it, it's a really difficult thing to say, you know, unaware that someone was being hypnotised, you know. It, is it really hypnosis that's being used here? Anyway, the article goes on. Mesmerised, the lady took the offenders home and handed over all her cash and valuables to them. By the time the trance state wore off, the thieves were long gone. Area Commander Counties Manukau East Inspector Wendy Spiller confirms the reported incident. And she says, in Half Moon Bay, an elderly Asian woman who was on her daily walk was confronted by an Asian couple who were able to put her in a trance, she says. The offenders then took the victim home where she handed over a large amount of cash and jewellery. She then awoke from the trance with no idea on how she was so effective. It sounds very strange, but this sort of offending has been reported overseas and we want to make people aware as we do not want this to happen here, she says. Now, 
there's just there's just so much wrong in this portrayal of so-called hypnosis that I just don't know where to begin if I'm honest you know hypnosis is collaborative it requires the active engagement of the person being hypnotized there's no solid evidence to support this portrayal of hypnosis um maybe in the final section whereby the article states it's happened elsewhere they're referring to the hypnotist thief story that was doing the rounds a couple of years ago here in the UK yes the hypnotist thief um, um, or was it lazy sensationalist journalism? Um, a couple of years back, uh, a story that was making the headlines here in the UK, all about a man who stole the wallet and money from a shopkeeper, apparently using hypnosis. And most major newspapers in the UK gave this story some coverage. Um, and all fairly similar they were in, in their coverage of the story. And um, I got asked about it a lot. The Telegraph, you know, our, our, our famous broadsheet um, um, conservative ter- Telegraph newspaper, which you'd expect to have a more sober perspective on the story, actually carried the headline, Hypnotist Thief Puts Shopkeeper in Trance Before Robbing Him. Um, you know, before I do anything else, let me address the fact that, you know, the Telegraph uses the, the word trance, which I know lots of hypnosis professionals use. But, you know, if you... If you um, you know, trance and hypnosis are not necessarily the same thing. You know, if you look at the work of um, Stephen J. Lynn and Irving Kirsch, for example, two of the most prolific contemporary researchers in the field of hypnosis, leading critics of the notion that hypnotism works by inducing an altered state of consciousness or trance. And they write, the idea that hypnosis involves a trance state may be the most pernicious of popular ideas about hypnosis. Decades of research have failed to confirm the hypotheses that responses to suggestion are due to an altered state of consciousness. And as a result, this hypothesis has been abandoned by most researchers in the field. Many knowledgeable scholars either reject the use of the term trance as misleading or use it in a sufficiently broad sense to include such commonplace experiences as being absorbed in an interesting move, conversation or daydream. That's Lynn and Kirsch in 2006. Um, Indeed, you know, referring to hypnosis as involving a trance actually would appear to make people less hypnotisable. It may foster anxiety about loss of control and encourage subjects to adopt an overly passive wait-and-see attitude. By contrast, researchers have generally found that subjects who actively imagine the things being suggested tend to respond better to hypnosis. So, for example, Stephen J. Lynn and colleagues found that when participants in an experimental study were told that it was necessary to enter trance to respond to hypnotic suggestions, they became less suggestible instead of more so. Anyway, that's a, that's a slight digression in uh, another way in which uh, the, the, the press tend to, to portray hypnosis as trance. Anyway, so I'm digressing. Um, um, if, you, if you look at the video then of the, of the, the so-called hypnotist thief um, um, as a means of attempting to decipher what's actually going on, and I've included a, a link to an old Daily Mail clip from a couple of years ago, um, over at the Hypnosis Weekly website, for you to have a look at the clip for yourself, you know, from the, the shop CCTV cameras. Um, um, but the Telegraph insists on referring to it as a Darren Brown-style hypnosis. And uh, at the time, Darren Brown wrote on his Facebook wall and publicly went on the record and is quoted as saying, getting lots of journos wanting me to speak about recent hypnotist theft story, no desire to further sensationalise the story, so no, sorry. 
Now, um, I would hasten to add, you know, Darren Brown is an entertainer who creates stunts and does tricks. And there's a huge amount of production and preparation involved in creating the impressive effects seen on his shows, all of which he does incredibly well, you know, beautifully. Um, but it's in entertainment and involves a lot less um, um of, of the more kind of academic explanation of what hypnosis actually is. So for the Telegraph to frame the crime as Darren Brown style hypnosis seems a little bit unusual to the likes of somebody like myself. Um, but the Telegraph just assumes that hypnosis is being used, you know, and I think this is incredibly lazy journalism. I've watched a video of the theft on a number of occasions and I'm unsure um, what on earth would lead anyone to believe that hypnosis was being used here at all? You know, despite the Telegraph referring to the entire event as a bizarre hypnosis raid. I mean, why are they calling it that? You know, they state that the thief entered the shop and placed a bottle on the shelf. No hypnosis there. They then stated that the thief tapped the shopkeeper on the shoulder. Again, nothing to do with hypnosis, no hypnosis there. They then state that the thief raises his right fist and shakes it in front of the shopkeeper. No hypnosis there. Although the Telegraph claims that this left him mesmerised. Now, although hypnosis has some historical precursor relationship with mesmerism, mesmerism is not really anything to do with hypnosis. Um, um, you know, but I, I get the link they're making. The thief then reaches into the shopkeeper's pockets, takes his wallet, squeezes the shopkeeper's shoulder. He then walks out. You know, again, no hypnosis. The thief does make some other miming gestures while pointing at his tummy. But again, I fail to see how this has anything to do with hypnosis in the way in which it's it's you know, conceptualised in an evidence-based format. Um, what cracks me up is that a friend of the shopkeeper is quoted as saying, we had no idea Aziz has been hypnotised. Well, exactly. It's most likely because he wasn't. I think the most bizarre thing about this story is that the article at the Daily Mail actually seems to be more cautious about how they label this entire event. Um, and their, their, their title of the story was Look Into My Eyes, Incredible Moment, Thief Appears to Hypnotise Shopkeeper Before Rifling His Pockets. Um, so Mr Hayde, the shopkeeper, um, um, is quoted in this story as saying, It was late and I was tired. I'm not sure, but it was like I was hypnotised. OK, so if he had experienced hypnosis before, he would know what hypnosis was like and would be able to say without doubt, I was hypnotised. But he says that he is not sure. So clearly he's not been hypnotised before. I'm deducing that. If he's not been hypnotised before, how does he know that what went on in his shop was anything to do with hypnosis? It's perhaps how we might imagine hypnosis to be to be you know, based upon popular myth and misconception. Like I said earlier, hypnosis is collaborative, you know, um, and the model that I adhere to, you know, frames it in terms of it being a cognitive skill that you actively participate in. You're not just a wholly passive recipient of it. It's not done to you. It's not done on you. In fact, there are much better ways of getting people to do things they don't want to do than using hypnosis. You know, many thieves use fear and threats of violence, for example, to take money from shop, which um, from shops, which which definitely alters the mindset of, of of a shopkeeper. But from looking at the evidence, a lot of distraction seems to be used, not just by looking at the footage. But if you look at some of the other quotes that Mr. Hader, the shopkeeper, goes on to say, um, he said his wife was in trouble and needed someone to help her. This is what Mr. Hader says of the thief. He said his wife was in trouble and needed someone to help her. This smacks of distraction. Um, um, he goes on to say he was touching my stomach saying my wife is pregnant. It's an old trick of the professionals. If it's an old trick, why classify it as hypnosis? Mm. 
Um, and this next bit is crucial because he then says, I was thinking, what should I give to him? Maybe he wanted water, tonic water. I felt really shocked by it. I thought, why is he touching me? But by that time, it was too late. So he was shocked. He was slightly confused. He was distracted. OK, you know, some of these elements may be considered hypnotic in some quarters, but it's tenuous at best to say that hypnosis was somehow being wielded to commit a crime. The thief um, also acted totally usually. Um, um, he was calm. He assumed the outcome, which could be angled as hypnotic behaviour and, and quality, a la, you know, Clark Hull uh, from the 1930s, uh, when he talked about anything that, that assumed hypnosis created it. Um, and, and, you know, there was clearly a degree of expectation used here, which, again, could be attributed to, to hypnotic theory. But the shopkeeper had no expectation about it. And um, that is how expectation tends to be explained in hypnosis, that the recipient had expectation of the outcome. One of the other clips on the Daily Mail uh, page is titled Police Baffled as Thief Who Apparently Hypnotised Victim. To me, there's very little that is apparent to suggest hypnosis, but I appreciate them putting the word in quotation marks. Um, and this is the point, isn't it? The word hypnosis builds intrigue. It gets readers interested. It sensationalises stories. But at what cost? Um, it perpetuates popular nonsense, myth, misconception about the field of hypnosis and what it's really about. Some might argue that there's no such thing as bad publicity for the field of hypnosis and it'll enhance the perception that people know of it and know it to be powerful. But I think that's a fairly weak argument too. I think it misleads and creates a false impression that in my people puts as many people off what we do rather than actually promoting our field and these are some of my my thoughts um, I'm, I'm, I've posted um, I'm a couple of stories around this um, um, around this subject um, um, they're on the hypnosis weekly website for you to have a look at um, um, so let's move on next up we have this week's professional discussion I welcome back Craig Sigal as you heard earlier Craig started out looking to advance his golf game and help others to do the same with the power of the mind since then his career has progressed into working with athletes and sports individuals of many differing kinds and um, he runs a very busy business using hypnosis for sports advancement in the US there's so much that I wanted to ask him about this um, um, and, 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 and that's what happened here is this week's professional discussion about sports hypnosis with Craig Sigal. Enjoy. So we're back now with this week's guest, Craig Sigal. I'm really excited. Um, um, those of you that are regular listeners know um, I'm a keen, keen sportsman, keen sports fan um, um, and love when I can somehow combine two loves of mine, both sports and hypnosis. Um, and this is what Craig does. Um, um, Craig, welcome back. First of all, then, I mean, you spoke a little bit earlier about having this interest in golf and, and improving your golf game. Is that how your interest developed in sports hypnosis? You know, were you into sports and, and it just seemed like you wanted to, to blend the two? Or tell us a little bit, how, how did your interest develop? How did you, how did you get to that place where you started specializing in sports hypnosis? Yeah, excellent, yes. So, uh, like I said, I was a golfer, and that got me started. Uh, but, but honestly, uh, in the, before I ever started my practice, I, I feel like I conquered golf. And, yeah. and personally, like I achieved all my golf goals. And so I kind of put that aside, and I was on a tear to do this whole hypnotherapy business thing 
I was obsessed by, you know, the change in the mind and all that because I had such per- great personal success. And, and um, so then I, I moved to Seattle. I started my practice. Um, I was a general hypnosis guy at first. And one thing I had going for me from my online experience with my coach was putting up websites. Yeah. So I go, okay. As I said before, I put up a, a medical hypnosis website for chronic pains and all the stuff I told you about earlier. Yeah. And then I put up one for sports hypnosis. Yeah. And Adam, I could not believe um, all the, it was just like crazy parents bringing their kids to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I had no idea what was going on in the youth sports world at the time. This is like 2008, 2007. Yeah. Um, my kids were not real big athletes. They played a little bit. Um, so I wasn't enmeshed in that whole youth sports world like uh, a lot of people. Mm. Um, but anyway, I threw that sports hypnosis thing out there. And, oh, my gosh, I discovered that this whole youth sports world is insane now. Yeah, It's even worse today, 2017. <laughs> but back then... So I had no idea that there's such a thing as select sports or travel sports and private sports. And private sports was taking over for all the all the public sports, you know, the mm. school sports. Yeah. And it was becoming ultra competitive. Again, now there there's a um, an article in Time magazine. If you Google, it's like um, Time magazine, youth sports, $15 billion industry. And it talks about the pressure these kids are under. This yeah. is an unexploited area for us hypnotherapists. Yeah. And why? Because these kids have problems. They're on island A. Nobody else is helping them. And all the sports psychologists, they want to help the, the college athlete. and they want, They're in the academic world. And they want to get published. And they want to eventually be the sports psychologist to some pro team or whatever. Nobody's helping the thousands of kids in every city who are struggling with performance anxiety and, and, and mental blocks and, and lack of aggressiveness and, and you name it. I mean, every, every single uh, sport that these kids play and it's so important to them now. Yeah. Right. It's not just them playing a recreational sport for fun anymore. It's their, their entire lives are built around it. Their, their parents' lives are now built around it. Their parents' Friends are built around the kids' um, uh, uh, parents' friends. They all hang out. They go to travel tournaments. Um, the, the coaches create like these little mini communities, and you, it's kind of like similar to a cult. These kids can't leave, yeah. and you know they're scared to death that if they don't perform, they're not going to get. Not only are they not going to get their time playing which is, you know, the, the basis, the basics, but they're not, they're scared to death. They're not going to make teams and lose their friendships and lose their parents' approval. I mean, this, the pressures these kids are under. Now you couple all that with the whole social media thing and everything's completely exacerbated for kids yeah. and um, parents don't know what to do. They're, all they do is tell them, hey, listen, you just need to keep thinking in positive thoughts. You know, and the sports psychology world teaches them. And I've had lots of kids who've been to sports psychologists first, and then they come to me because they didn't get their problem solved. Yeah. The sports psychologists are like, you know, you need to focus on the process. Focus on the process and not the outcome. A 12-year-old kid doesn't know what that means. Mm. And, and mm. For, if I had a dime for every time I asked a kid, hey, so how many times have you been asked uh, by, or told by coaches and parents, you just need to believe in yourself. That's like yeah. my pet. 
my pet peeve. The kids are like, yeah, hundreds. And, you know, they roll their eyes like they don't know what that means either. It doesn't do anything. Right. Or, or you know, Band-Aids, Band-Aids, like I said earlier, make sure you have good self-talk. Have good self-talk. Yeah, that'll do it. No, it won't. You've got to go to the core of the problem, which lies in the subconscious you're talking about earlier. And what is making this whole thing, my whole business, is what what's happening in the youth sports world. It's insane. You know, um, and back in my day, uh, you you played a sport for a season, and then when that season's over, if you're really a good athlete, you go play another sport in the yeah. next season, yeah. right? No, now at 11, 10 years old, their coaches are saying, nope, you can't, uh, you can't do that. You got to play my sport, and you got to play for my team year-round, you know? And if you don't, I don't know if you're going to get playing time, yeah. you know? And it's the whole, that all started, like, uh, with Tiger Woods in the 90s, you know, the uh, the book about the dad who raised uh, Tiger Woods as a three-year-old to be yeah. a, a golf maniac. Well, the funny thing is, the ironic thing is, that that's just one example, right? People build uh, belief systems on anecdotal evidence. Tiger Woods is anecdotal. For every Tiger Woods who specialized in a sport at three years old, there's a hundred more who did multiple sports who are now at the top of their, their field, like yeah. like Joe Montana. I, and tons of, is is my favorite one. Yeah. Athlete of the 20th century, Joe Montana, American football, yeah. played multiple sports all throughout high school and became the greatest athlete of the 20th century, according to ESPN. Yeah. So anyway, it's all these pressures. I had no idea what I was getting into, um, but the parents kept bringing them. And I like kids and, and I had a good time with them. And, and, and I'm short. I'm five foot five. And so the kids aren't afraid of me. Or at least uh, not as much as some, you know. I, I think they <laughs> like they could take me if I ever got out of control. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that helped. And often, if you're going to work with kids, um, a little piece of advice for everybody out there, you know, you can't get any work done until that kid trusts you. Mm. So the younger the kid is, the more time you're going to spend on trust than doing any work. I mean, Adam. Often, I can't tell you how many times where I, I get an hour session and I spend 50 minutes of it just playing games with them until mm. I feel like I got their trust. Yeah. I call it the song and dance. Yeah. And then it's 10 minutes of doing something that moves them forward. Kids are very simple. The, the younger they are, the more simple they are. You don't need to get into all this detail about, you know, techniques and, and the sports psychology stuff you can read in any book on Amazon. No. One concept think in my, in your mind there's one thing i want to get across to this kid today but you know what the hypnosis is is just extra and it's helpful it's reinforcement uh, yeah. but often uh, i think the hypnosis happens in that 50 minutes 45 minutes where i am just getting this kid's trust yeah right because we all know hypnosis happens with an with authority mm. authority is hypnosis right if we believe an authority figure we believe there are there are then Right. It's like yeah. parents. I, I believe that kids listening to parents, if they do listen, that's hypnosis because it's the, their ultimate authority. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and it just sinks in because they have such little to no uh, block between the conscious and unconscious. So, um, yeah, what I would often do with kids is I'd spend that 50 minutes, 45 minutes getting trust and rapport, playing games with them. 
getting them to talk a little bit about themselves. You know, literally, Adam, just through like talking about their favorite YouTube videos or or SpongeBob, their favorite shows and yeah. stuff like that, and playing simple little paper games or. Uh, I'll, I'll get on the computer and I'll let them show me their favorite game. <clears throat> and then while we're playing games, I'm asking light little questions to just get to know them. And as soon as I sense that they're sharing with me something that they wouldn't share with a stranger, boom, I got them. Yeah. Now I can slowly move that into um, a concept. And I'm not going to say you know, to a 10 year old, you know, you need to focus on the process. No, I'm going <laughs> to, I have more down to earth ways of getting that across to a 10 year old. Yeah. really simple ways yeah i mean i i could talk for an hour on that alone yeah yeah i mean i'm fascinated in that i you know i am fascinated as well with with the with the, the the emerging degrees of pressure that you know that that, that kids have placed upon them as they as they get older um right. you know I, i'm interested in that from a personal and a professional perspective is that is that typical of of, of the kind of issue that you work with um, i'm perhaps you give some sort of an idea craig the kinds of things that you deal with the most um, the kind of issues that, that, that you were, I mean, if there is yeah. such a thing. There is, there is. Between you and me as therapists and everybody as therapists, the answer is always fear. Mm. If you're in doubt working with an athlete and you don't know what's going on, just keep in mind you're dealing with fear mm. of some sort. Go from there. That's the core, all right? Mm. Um, now, um, what was your original question? Because I had a side issue, a side answer. Yeah, to that. if there were. Oh, if, the, the, the issues. The yeah, issues, the kind of the things issues. that typically you yeah, work yeah. with. All right, so that's the core of it. Um, but what's presented are things like um, nervous before competition. Mm. Right? Um, if you use this word pressure, that is probably the most used word by kids in sports and up and comers yeah. in sports. Pressure. Dealing with the pressure, the pressure to perform, right? Of course, like I said before, the core of it is fear. Um, but what they come to you, and that's what you need to present in your outreach and how you find people with acute problems on Island A. Yeah. I always remember my my greatest marketing advice I could I could give to everybody is market to what people want, and when they come to you, then you give them what they need. Mm. Too many hypnotherapists are, are presenting what they need, and people are like, I don't resonate to that. I don't, what? That's not me. Whatever. That's not for me. Bye. Next. I'll go find somebody who's speaking my language. Yeah. Right. So the true, like the here, here's you know, a, a sports psychologist will say you're dealing with performance anxiety. Okay. Very few people use those terms. Only people in the academic world. No. But if you talk about um, getting nervous before a tryout for your select sports team, oh, they get that, man. Wow, yeah, that happens to me, right? Yeah. Um, being stuck on performance plateaus, meaning uh, I haven't had a personal best in a long time. If we're talking about racing sports, what like swimming or running or all the different racing sports, yeah, right? Um, if you mention mental blocks, uh, a lot of them know about that. Like, um, like I said, uh, golfing is the yips probably – you know what? Here it is, Adam. Two things are the number two thing. One and two things I hear most often. One, I'm not performing in competition like I do in practice. Yeah. Number one. So yeah. the technical term is performance anxiety. But if you say, oh, I do performance anxiety, people go, well, that's not me. Yeah. But if you say, uh, <laughs> if you're not performing in the game like you do in practice, that's me, even though we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And right. then the other thing that parents bring 
their kids to me for is lack of or inconsistent confidence. Yeah. Again, the what they really need is how to be fearless, is how to get over their fears. Yeah. Because it's not a lack of confidence. In fact, when I teach confidence, you know what the biggest blog, Adam, to people developing confidence for their sport or anything for that matter, brand new hypnotherapists. This is great advice for brand new hypnotherapists. The number one thing I do before I teach anything else about confidence is this. You don't need confidence to do anything great. People do amazing things every single day with zero confidence. Mm. Zero. You don't need any. In <laughs> fact, the belief that you need it holds you back from building it. Mm. The belief that you need it for, for a brand new hypnotherapist, right? How many times have we heard, well, I just need another certification or training, or I don't feel confident going into my sessions. I don't feel comfortable. I hear this all the time. I, I'm out of my comfort zone when I'm doing a, you know, I, I take a lot of hypnotherapists and life coaches who learn a lot of theory, a lot of techniques, but when, but they're scared to death to actually work with a, a real live paying customer. Mm. And, they, and they tell me all the time because I don't feel confident. Yeah. Well, step one is get rid of the idea you need confidence. You're not going to feel <laughs> confident. You're brand new. Yeah. What, what you need to do is just care if you're a hypnotherapist, like I said before. Just start there, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I love hearing that kind of stuff. Um, right. um, I, I'm, you know, you, um, um, you, you, you spoke earlier. Um, um, as soon as you started using the word uh, within some of the mental toughness stuff that you're talking about, relentless. I think I think your race. Um, I've forgotten. It was relentless and clear. Um, relentless so, awareness, a, a re clear, and then emotional mastery. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I I, I I just loved hearing that. One of my favorite um, ultra running books um, is called Relentless Forward Progress, and I always used those words as almost like a mantra. And when you were talking <laughs> about that earlier on, you know, I loved. Um, um, I, I, I loved hearing that. Um, um, are, there, are there some sort of central themes to your own approach um, that you use with athletes and sports people of differing types? Well, that is it. That is a central approach, rates. And I'm happy uh, in our time here, uh, go over that quickly. Uh, I already mentioned what R is, relentless. And um, A is awareness. And I think this is highly, highly underestimated the power of this. Yeah. And so I am really big on teaching my people why they do what they do. And I'm not just talking a two-minute you know, pre-talk or whatever. I get into, I, and I do this visually, I draw it out, the conscious and subconscious, and, and, I, and I plug in um, what is going on with them with the paradigm um, performance equals potential minus interference as part of awareness. Mm. Right, And I yeah. explained to them how we're going to get rid of the interference and then you will perform to your potential. And I go through this whole thing. And when people get the awareness of why they do what they do, lo and behold, it builds relentless belief in their ability to change. Psychological studies have proven over and over and over that people do better with models. Mm. Models of how they operate within their world. Right? Mm. I mean, for example, religion is, is, a, is, is one of those things. Right. Yeah. So we know that psychological studies will show that uh, in general, uh, people who have a model like religion can handle like the death of a close one much better than people who don't. Why? We know as hypnotherapists because they can come to some kind of resolution about mm. things. 
they, it's not open-ended where it just continues to spiral and, and, and then they repress it and it keeps coming back up and it gets worse and their reticular activating system looks for more reasons as to why this sucks and, and on and on and on, right? They go into the death spiral, I call it. So when you teach people, and I do this with eight-year-old kids, Hmm. exactly why now you don't use technical terms right i use simple terms like um in my mental toughness academy and when i work with little kids that's the the program i created for little kids i i call it the power mind and the thinking mind the power mind is your subconscious and the thinking mind is right what we use to lock look listen and learn and speak right yeah um so that's a awareness and i just find tremendous value and i keep going back to it i don't just do a 10 minute pre-talk and then they think they got it no we keep going back to it in my four session package which yeah, is what yeah. i've been selling for years you have yeah. to keep going back to these things i think lots of uh, inexperienced hypnotherapists and life coaches they'll, they'll they'll just think they covered something once and they're good no you got to over and over and over with this stuff until the person can repeat it back to you that they have integrated it, that it's part of what you're doing together in your in your process. Yeah. Uh, and then moving on to C, clear, that's where we literally go and clear the interfering belief programs, which are triggering those emotions and those unwanted physical, physical uh, responses, right? So yeah. that's your typical get down and dirty, and I found some really efficient ways, like I, I've done, Adam, I've done hundreds, hundreds of regression sessions and, and that works like, it works amazing, right? And I've learned from a lot of people. But because I'm an efficiency fanatic, I've learned how to take the essence of what makes the change there and, and, and do it in 15 minutes instead of the hour and a half it used to take. <laughs> Love hearing that. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then E is emotional mastery, which leads to fearless. And I yeah. almost made that F uh, because that's what runs through everything. Uh, but RACF doesn't sound very cool, so I made it RACF. <laughs> I didn't think I'd call my method RACF. Emotional <laughs> mastery works. <laughs> uh, but but the point of that is fearless because 99%, if not 100, I, I only say 99 because there maybe there's something I don't know. Well, there is something I don't know. I don't know everything. Uh, but it, it, what you're dealing with is fear, as I said earlier. Right. Mm. And check this out I'll, I'll i'll finish with with this um on the race there's only two things in life that we fear two categories of things we fear physical harm and danger to your body meaning death or injury that's category number one mm-hmm. everything else that we fear in life comes under the heading and category of emotions there's nothing else mm. Oh, but Craig, no, no, Craig, I'm afraid of failure. Oh, really? Yeah, so what happens if you fail? What happens? Is somebody going to shoot you? No. Is anybody going to put a knife to you? No. Is your parents going to kick you out in the street and no food, clothing, and shelter? Physical. No, no, no. Oh, then what happens if you, quote, fail? Uh, I'm going to feel bad. That's right. That's the end of the story. Feel bad. That's Mm -hmm. all that happens. That's what you're afraid of feeling bad so what if this is how i lead uh, uh this is how i uh, as part of my package my second uh, second session is always uh teaching people this emotional mastery because it's the biggest block mm. to get past fears i said what if what if you weren't afraid of your emotions what if you weren't afraid of the embarrassment the sadness the disappointment the frustration and all the things that come from you quote failing unquote what if you weren't afraid 
we already know you're not going to get shot, stabbed, or physically harmed if you lose. So what if you weren't afraid of those, uh, those emotions? Well, I guess I'd be fearless. Yeah. <laughs> so then I go about teaching them how to not be afraid of their emotions, which is emotional mastery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I love that. I, I love that model. Um, um, really neat, really lovely. Um, um, now I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, I was gonna round things off today by saying, you know, um, um, if any of our, the hypnotherapists listening would like to specialize in sports, what would be your advice to them? And, and you've just, you know, you just offered so much of that stuff. Um, um, throughout the time that we've been talking today, um, um, you crammed loads of that in already, um, um, which, is, <laughs> which is absolutely wonderful. Um, 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 so just once again, people want to go and learn more about um, um, sports hypnosis and so on. Um, um, what's, um, um, where should they go to find out about it with you and are, are there other, other resources that you might recommend as well? Yeah, absolutely. Mentaltoughnesstrainer.biz, yeah. where they can learn about uh, working with me. Yeah. Um, but also, my website for, um, for, for the athletes themselves is mentaltoughnesstrainer.com. Okay. And if you want to specialize in sports, um, I'm going to go back and highlight something I said earlier, which is market to what people want. Yeah. And then when they come to you, give them what they need. Yeah. So I am very free with everything I ever do. I want my stuff out there. I don't believe in this whole competition between people. There are so many people out there not getting help. I, there could be 12 Craigs here in Seattle alone. We still wouldn't even tap the surface of how many people need help with this kind of work. So yeah. um, people are in my program have access to everything I've ever done. I tell them to copy me. I tell them to put your name on stuff. I'm very free with my stuff. This whole, you know, I don't want people copying my stuff is such BS, Adam. I, I, I want my stuff out there, right? I, um, so go, if you want to learn the, the language that athletes use that you can start using and attracting them to work with you, go to my mentaltoughnesstrainer.com, go to some of my sales pages. By the way, I've written all my own sales pages. I took a one-year mentorship with a copyright coach. And Brilliant. inside those programs, the online programs for athletes, you will see all the language from my 14 years of working with athletes in there. Use that language. Mm. Mm. Speak to where people are on Island A. Let me leave you with one, one more metaphor. Yeah, please. So uh, I have a dozen sports psychologists or more here in Seattle, and I've dominated them. Everybody comes to me, Right. I have no credentials other than my, you know, hypnosis, whatever, which pe people don't care about credentials. All they care about is, can you get me my outcome, right? Yeah. So, because I hear new, new hypnotherapists all say, I don't have any credentials. Uh, you know, I need more credentials and I'm scared. How can I go against sports psychologists? Well, here's the metaphor I want to teach you. Imagine one day uh, you're an athlete or whatever. You don't even have to be an athlete. And you have a pain in your wrist that won't go away. The pain in your wrist will not go away, and so you go to the, the doctor, and the doctor puts you on the x-ray and looks you over and says, I don't know what's wrong. I, can't, I see nothing wrong. This happens every day in the sports world, by the way, mm. right? And, he's, and they give you the prescription, so here's what I want you to do. Put your arm in a sling for two weeks. Don't use it. Give it a chance to heal. After that, I want you to go to physical therapy for eight sessions, 
And uh, here's some pain pills in case you really need to use it for something in the meantime or it bugs you too much. Mm. So you do everything the doctor says. And after 10 weeks, you still got your problem. It's no better. Nothing's, nothing's, this happens all the time. <laughs> when I tell this story with athletes, they all nod their head like it's happened to them. Anyway, so you got your wrist pain. It flares up all the time. And you happen to be walking downtown, big city, Seattle, I like to, where I live. All right, I'm walking downtown, and there's some homeless people singing songs, playing music. And, and I appreciate that, so I open my wallet. I got my wrist pain, and I reach for a few bucks to hand it to them. And as I'm ha about to hand it to them, my wrist pain flares. I'm like, ow! And I grab my wrist. Ow! Ow! And I hand them the money, and the, and the homeless person says, wow, you got a really bad pain in your wrist, huh? And I go, yes! It's been 10 weeks. I, doctors, yeah, right? And mm. the homeless guy goes, by chance, you know, uh, either, like right before your wrist pain flares up, do you get this shooting sensation, a light shooting pain sensation up to your shoulder and back down to the wrist? And you go, and I go, yeah, <laughs> wow, yeah, I do. And he goes, and, and this is a shot in the dark, but, you know, by chance, at about the same time you had that wrist pain, you get this weird numb, numb, nummy feeling in your opposite foot. And that comes and goes too. And it's, and it's been about the same time as you had that wrist pain. And you go, yeah! <laughs> yeah! Wah, wah. And the guy goes, and the homeless guy goes, you know what? I had that exact pain. Mm. I'll, tell, I'll tell you how, to, how I solved it. Give me 40 bucks and I'll tell you exactly how I solved it. Now, Adam, here's the big question. In that moment, who has more credibility, the doctor or the homeless person? Yeah. <laughs> and will you give that homeless person 40 bucks? Yeah. If you have it in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Credibility is understanding where people are at and then telling them how you're they're going to you're going to get them out of it. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. what makes a business. Yeah. So I, I love I love marketing as much as I do the therapy as you can probably tell. Yeah. And mark because marketing is therapy. Marketing is psychology. That's yeah. the most important part. It's not all the whiz bang stuff. You can have a very simple presence uh, website whatever it's the psychology of getting your 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 prospective client to have the beliefs they need to have and dispel the beliefs that stop it from them believing that you are the solution to their problem yeah period yeah yeah i love that you know um i'm, I'm you, you you are a force Craig, I love that. I really do. You know, the um, um, I, I, I have such an appetite for lots of um, for lots of the themes that we've talked been talking about within this um, within this discussion about your your approach to sports and so on. And it's it's lovely. There's some really refreshing things that uh, I'm delighted to hear. Um, Thank you. And um, for those of you um, for those of you tuning in today, um, do go check out mentaltoughnesstrainer.biz um, um, and uh, check out. Out what Craig does and how he does it and so on. Um, Craig Siegel, all that's left for me to do today is thank you for coming and joining <laughs> me. Thank 
thank you for giving of your time, your information so generously. Um, You're welcome. Um, Craig Siegel. Thank you. My pleasure. I want my stuff out there. I really enjoyed that. I, I love that uh, race model of Craig's, the relentless awareness, clearing, emotional mastery, great stuff. Um, so um, finally this week, we're on to uh, our evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And uh, the fact of the week is this, um, um, and that is that self-hypnosis training advances experiences of radiological procedures. So um, Lang and colleagues back in 1996 used self-hypnosis techniques while patients underwent radiological procedures. And those that had been trained in self-hypnosis used less drugs and reported less pain, first of all. Um, um, additionally, though, the self-hypnosis group was associated with significantly lower oxygen desaturation and greater physiological stability during the procedures. Um, and, it's, and it's just an excellent study to read as far as those kind of outcomes are concerned. So, yeah, that's this week's uh, evidence-based uh, factoid that self-hypnosis training advances experiences of radiological procedures. Um, so that is it. Uh, oh, there's a link um, um, to the paper and, and, and the details are included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So, um, so that's it for this week's 84th edition. Uh, I've got many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming editions. We will be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all, remaining friends. Now, next time out, exciting news. Um, I welcome former world champion dancer and winner of TV's Strictly Come Dancing. Yes, professional dancer, or former professional dancer, Camilla Dallarup. And um, her and I, we, we talk all things hypnosis, but we also talk about the process of reinventing oneself. It is going to be a sequined episode. I'm uh, going to get a spray tan especially. Um, um, so look forward to that. Tune in next week. Um, all the references made and the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, uh, www.hypnosis weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. Do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again go to Craig Sigal and uh, thanks to you as always for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.